Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. 2020 was a tough year for everyone. Things are looking up though with the rollout of the vaccines. To kick off 2021 in a positive way, we have teamed up with the cognitive neuroscience professor, Joel Pearson, to deliver five key points of action that you can take to ensure that you take your well-being to the next level. Joel is a professor of cognitive neuroscience at the University of New South Wales, a National Health and Medical Research Council fellow and founder of UNSW's Future Minds Lab, MindX, and Agile Science. Today we'll be discussing the importance of resilience and how you can apply design principles to train your resiliency to enhance your life. So here we are at Design Your Life in Redfern, and I've got the great guest, Joel Pearson. Welcome, Joel. Thank you. It's been so cool to catch up with you, and, and I'm really, really excited. We're going to do a five-part series with you, and we're going to be starting off res- with resilience. Um, how, did, how did this all come about, this, what you do today? And, and I know you, you're the founder of Future Minds Lab, but uh, you had an interesting past before you got to this. Yeah, I can I'm going to do the long, long version or the short version. I'll try and steer somewhere in the middle. So even in high school, my interests were split between science and art. And, you know, I was the guy in the, getting there early in the morning, drinking coffee and painting and drawing and loving art, but also loving science. Mm-hmm. And that kind of extended through into, you know, university level as well. I enrolled to do architecture, ended up not doing that, did science, then went to COFA, College of Fine Arts, studied time-based arts, sort of digital film, and got into that. Mm. And then I started thinking about the nature of reality, um, how I could possibly study that. I, I didn't want to sort of go down, you know, studying physics or quantum mechanics, that kind of thing. So I start, thought about consciousness and um, thought, well, how can one study consciousness objectively, reliably, and, you know, hard science, in inverted commas, uh, and started looking at neuroscience and psychology and sort of decided, well, that's the direction I want to go in. And at the time, it was still a bit taboo to, to sort of mm. mainstream science to study consciousness. Nowadays, it's not. It's a very cool yeah, topic yeah. and everyone wants to do it. Yeah. So I, I, I changed my degree again and went to Sydney University uh, and did honours and a PhD there in sort of cognitive neuroscience and perception. Wow. How long was that course? PhD? Well, I did it in, in a very short... Typically, it's three to four years. I did yeah. it sort of two and a bit years, uh, which is kind of unusual. Mm. Um, and, you know, doing a PhD is it's sort of changing at the moment what that degree is, but I just loved it. You know, it was just like I had a scholarship. They'll sort of pay me to go and discover stuff that I wanted to discover anyway. Um, hmm. So it's kind of um, you know, thinking up cool questions to ask. How does memory work or how does... I was studying this illusion called binocular rivalry and, and it's sort of... It's, 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 it'll probably come back if we talk about mental imagery. Um, and it was, I just had a great time and I was just loving it. Mm. And I was dedicated to understanding consciousness. So I finished my PhD and went over to Nashville, Tennessee, of all places, and wow. country music capital of the world, and worked you, there for a while. Do you play instruments? Not really. I learned a little, little bit of everything when I was young. So okay. Piano and flute and recorder and guitar and stuff, but yeah. Mm. So it was fun living there for a few years and then came back to Australia. Wow, what an incredible diverse range of subjects that you studied there. Yeah, so that's, I can keep going. But you, I guess you just, 
did you just know that it wasn't right? I mean, originally architecture, then science. There was just something that was drawing me towards consciousness. It's hard now. It was, now when I look back, it was the stuff that I loved about both was discovery. Mm-hmm. Discovering how, you know, film or sculpture or, or drawing could make someone feel something. Mm. That discovery would drive me. And now discovering how the brain works, the mind works, is really exciting. So it's like, you know, a few hundred years ago, being in a boat, discovering a, a new island or a new continent. It has that kind of pioneering discovery feel mm. to it and I kind of get addicted to that and fell in love with that you think there's the you went to Rudolf Steiner school Rudolf right Steiner school, yeah. do, do you think that influenced you in a big way I, th- I don't really have a good comparison so it's when people ask that I, th- I think it, it must have right True. so yeah. I, had, I had the freedom I wasn't pushed into memorizing stuff I wasn't pushed into you know, you've got to learn reading and writing early on so I had a very imaginative childhood and could play around with stories and do a lot of art um, I had a lot of freedom to think about abstract things. And so I, I, I think it, it must have affected me, yeah. Mm. yeah. And then so how did you, so from, from that point, did you then found Future Minds Lab or what happened there? Yeah, so I came back to Australia and Sydney and got a job at UNSW just mm-hmm. up here in Randwick yeah. and started studying consciousness and mental imagery and decision-making. But at the same time, even before I left the US, I started exposing myself, I guess, to a lot of startup material as you do when you're in the US, kind of. And that was all that sort of the entrepreneurial stuff was just happening on the West Coast and people were getting pumped to start their own company. And I was getting fascinated by the way there was a lot more freedom in in companies at the time. And there still kind of is to a degree when you look at sort of like SpaceX or what those kinds of companies can do. You can just do things that used to be in the realm of universities but now kind of got moved a bit to sort of startups with, with lots of money and that really sparked my interest because I could see that that at a university typically you're dependent on government grants and they're getting more and more conservative and harder to get the money and it's more competitive mm. so there's just something that's where the sort of interest in startups came and then I started talking to people in startups and talking to people on campus about startups um, and then I guess, I guess one thing led to another and we realised that, well, there's no real neuroscience or psychology around startups and the business school seems to do, te- own that territory and own a lot of the organisational cycle as well. But all the modern techniques and neuroscience techniques and even the modern psychology techniques weren't really being applied at all. So to put it another way, um, applied psychology just w- wasn't existent. It, didn't, it was a failure in, in my mind. And so then I sort of pitched this thing to the university and said, we'll set up this new lab and build a new space and it will be, first we'll look to understand innovation and startups and then we'll go broader with applied psychology to business, to creativity, to, to whatever it might be um, in a way that hasn't been done before. And so they funded that and then that's we built Future Minds Lab. Um, and so that's been an interesting journey in itself and a rocky at times and sort of trying to do such an ambiguous entity, experimental startup, really, inside a university where there's so many rules and regulations about finance and how you can do this and you can't do this and branding. So that was quite challenging in itself, yeah. How long has that been going for now? That's about three years, I think. Yeah. Cool. And just before that as well, I I set up a little boutique company of my own called Mindex. Um, And then we we sort of started doing small, medium projects advertising and marketing so applying psychology and neuroscience techniques to understand creative 
from advertising agencies. But I do like the idea that you've got neuroscientists, strategists, psychologists, data scientists, designers, technologists, yeah. all under one roof. We, we do. It's been a challenging last 12 months with COVID and, and, and the universities all around the country, all around the world have been feeling the pressure of that. So it has been challenging to keep yeah. that going in the same way. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, but even that, it, I mean, sort of a little glimpse inside academia, even having, you know, PhD students, people with PhDs, so postdoctoral researchers, and then having designers and people from ex-Google and those different cultures of don't naturally mix as I kind of mm. I assume they would be fine they all work together but you have yeah. these funny hierarchies you have these different ways of working academics are not really no. used to working in teams and so there's a lot of learning working. All working. <laughs> um, well, I think that I mean that's something that I've been trying to create here is that mixture uh, of kind of capabilities and get deeper into you know human centered design yeah uh, to be more effective and adding more value to the world and literally that, you want people to be better at being people or be better at being business or creating more successful outcomes that aren't just about commercial outcomes but more about adding true value to the world. Yeah. That mix is, I can understand it being at times tricky, that, but, I, but I think that's the potential. I mean, it's got to be, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, when it works, it, amazing things can happen. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Well, let's talk about COVID, because COVID, I mean, people don't like keep hearing about COVID, but it's still with us, and uh, sadly, um, it doesn't seem to be going, going away in any kind of uh, hurry. Yeah. Over the last year, I guess it's now, uh, it's been very much part of our lives, and it's been very much, um, it's not a positive thing at all, it's a negative thing. There are positive yeah. things that come from it, but generally, uh, there's been a lot of death, a lot of stress, a lot of people, uncertainty, and mental health, I, I think, is obviously at an all-time low yeah. uh, and we've all every single individual I'm sure has uh, tried to deal with certain aspects of that uh, I found it really tough at times um, and life's tough anyways before we had COVID <laughs> you know yeah. and, and kind of seeing the answers and feeling that feeling of that uncertainty kind of does play at your optimism and we're going to talk about resilience but I think it's what's your ex experience been over the last year yeah it's Highs and lows, and likewise, it's, it's been difficult. So I had a, a, a baby around mid-April, so that was that was right. Sensible, yeah. <laughs> just at, just at the beginning, right? That was right when we, we didn't know what was going to happen, and oh I think everyone God. was worried it was going to be like, a, like Italy or, or, or New York, and we didn't know what was. So that was there was a lot of uncertainty there. Even going to the hospital, and it was wow. How how safe do we have to be, and what's going to yeah, happen? Yeah. Um, so the, the sort of the three months after that are a bit of a blur in my memory. You know, lack of sleep and things like that. We'll talk about sleep too, right? Sleep, yeah. I mean, that's that's another uh, another theme. Important. In the last since I've had kids, of I care so much about sleep now. I used to kind of ignore it, but now it's a thing, and and it's certainly a huge part of mental health. But yeah, I, I guess uncertainty has been this international theme of how to deal with uncertainty, and we can jump into some of the science mm. around that. We we know that uncertainty activates some of the, the amygdala, the fear centers of the brain, and so we tend to feel it. And be scared of it. Like it actually makes us uncomfortable. Some mm. more than others. That's the other thing. There is these big individual differences. So some mm. people not so much. Some people find it really uncomfortable. Mm. So that's kind of the, the first step is trying to understand. I think. So we designed this workshop that we ran for Macquarie Group on this topic. Sort of. This is just before COVID. Actually, mm. how to deal with 
how to understand and deal with ambiguity and uncertainty in the workplace, but, but also in people's lives. And that first step is really sort of embracing it, understanding that there's nothing wrong with you if it makes you feel uncomfortable. Right? And, you, and you see all kinds of examples of that. Just not knowing, you know, if your flight's delayed um, and you don't know how long it's going to be delayed for, it's very uncomfortable. If well, they, if you're in first-class lounge, it's not it's that not, bad. <laughs> Yeah, or, but yeah. or lots of people might say that another example is that, that why Uber took off the way it did was that it just reduced uncertainty. Mm. Or, uh, and that's all it's doing. You can, you can follow the little car on your phone. You yeah. know exactly when it's going to pull up. There's no more uncertainty, right? Yeah, an easy transaction, wasn't it? Yeah, so you take away uncertainty. People feel it's, it's smoother. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so our brains and, the, and, and monkeys' brains respond to uncertainty in a similar way. And that is, it's like a fear stimulus. It's like something that's dangerous. It's, our brain's telling us. So we... We, we try and avoid it. We want certainty. Mm. Um, so once you try and understand that, then you can start doing things around it, depending on how much it influences you. And then there's like a standard sort of array of things you can apply. Um, reframing is a popular thing to talk mm. about, sort of cognitive reframing. Um, and you can plug that into ideas around building resilience, I guess, or this idea that just like the Australian bush, the example I give, that, that lots of plants in Australia need to be burnt every, whatever, 10 years or 15 years to regenerate and to survive. And you actually want to have lots of small bushfires, safe-ish safe ones, mm. rather than none for 20 years and then a massive thing just yeah. burns and burns and burns, right? Yeah. And so the same with uncertainty. You want to expose yourself to small, medium levels of uncertainty that are sort of safe, and get used to that mm. and practice that and reframe that as like going to the gym, right? So it's uncomfortable going to the gym, running. Um, some people love it, but lots of people don't. So being exposed to uncertainty, you can think about it like that. So that's an example of um, reframing it to something that's building you, it's positive, it's making mm. you stronger and better and healthier. I think that there, I often kind of get into a position of having lots of options, lots of ideas but also thinking about the worst case scenario and also getting paralyzed by the options and knowing which one to take. Yeah. And you get in that kind of place of you're in between. And actually, if you're in that in-between place where you haven't committed to something, it's actually incredibly draining. You know, it's actually a, not a good space, I find. Yeah. Because I find that everything stops and I'm in this kind of no man's land where I haven't committed to an idea or a a project or an outcome or a goal, I then start thinking why I haven't committed to that. What, why aren't I not locking into something and moving forward with it? And that's that fear of not knowing whether you've chosen the right yeah. decision. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's lots of points to jump in on. There, Everything from choice paradox, right? People think, and you probably know this in some, some branding and some design options, that, that we, we want more, the more choice the better, right? But if you go to a supermarket and there's, you know, 500 different milks you're just going to stand there going shit shit like like how do i where do i start right it's too much mm. and so we, we actually want a smaller choice but we want to feel better about the choices we make mm -hmm. so there's that kind of choice thing then there's the other thing about making decisions with s smaller amounts of information so people in business are now talking about that more and more about intuition mm. gut responses and mm -hmm. we'll, i know we'll jump into that a bit later yeah and there's now a whole lot of science around that. And it, sometimes we can feel like we, we need to hold off and we need to just wait and wait and wait for more information to come in mm. so we can make a fully informed, rational, 
clear cognitive choice. But in reality, that's often just not the case. So no matter how much research you've done, you still might not know for sure. Exactly, yeah. 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 I mean, today we're going to talk about resilience, and we've touched upon it obviously just uh, earlier. Um, what is it? Yeah, so a lot of people think of resilience as, as like this, you know, I'm tough, I'm strong, not, I don't, you know, there's no vulnerabilities, not, nothing will ever knock me down. And that's not the way the word gets used technically, mm-hmm. and it's not what it means, I don't think. Okay. So it's more about when something happens, when something knocks you over or there's a hiccup or whatever it might be, it's about how you respond to that and how you get back up again or, or, or what you do around that. So everyone's going to be knocked down by something at some mm-hmm. point in their lives. Mm-hmm. So it's around how you respond to that, what you do. And then you can think about sort of the things you can do really immediately, right? If something negative has happened and you're really having a panic attack or highly stressed, there are all kinds of things you can do from breathing exercises, box breathings, one of the sort of commonly known and popular ones. It's just slowing down your physiology so you can respond in a certain way. And then you can think about all the other sort of more lifestyle factors that prepare you uh, and get you practice to handle things when they come up. So yeah. that's the way I think I think about it, um, resilience, and that's the way a lot of psychologists and neuroscientists think about resilience. Mm. Um, it's a fairly new topic, I think, scientifically. People mm. talk about it in terms of clinical resilience with um, disease and things like that, but not in the way everyday resilience is kind of a new topic. Yeah, well, it's COVID, right? COVID brought that on. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, if people in business want their people to be resilient or learn how to be more resilient, learn how to deal with um, the situation, protect their, mm. enhance their mental health, uh, et cetera. Talk about box breathing. That sounds interesting. Yeah, so they call it different names for it. Box is, box is in so the square shape of a box, and simply sort of counting as you breathe and breathing in sort of one, two, three, four, or five, and holding your breath for another f- even count of five, and then breathing out slowly for an even count, and holding your breath again. So you're sort of just breathing around in this box, and you're counting the whole time. So you're mm. by counting, you're, you're sort of using your working memory you're sort of controlling your thoughts so it's a bit almost like a meditation as yeah, well because you're yeah. stopping yourself from worrying about the thing or going off on tangents and you're doing this slow breathing so you're slowing down your physiology and that's going to change your physiology and keep you counting over and over and how long do you do that for i mean as long as it takes yeah so if i if, I, if i've noticed something's happened i'm kind of all wound up and i you get wound up of course I get wound up. Jeez, you're meant to be, an, ex- you're meant to be an expert in this. Everyone gets wound up. <laughs> that, that's the point, right? So there's no... It's, it's a false to think that, that, we're, um, that we're immune to these things. And we should. And if something does come up, we should hide it and we should pretend it's all good and we're all strong, you know? Like, and so that's, that's not a good thing to communicate and it's not, it's not reality either. Um, and people might say, yeah, nothing's come up for me for a long time and that's, that might be fine, but something may come out of left field when you least expect it. Mm. That's the way sort of mental health tends to work. It's sort of no one taps you on the shoulder and says, oh, by the way, next week something's going to happen. Or, mm. you know, it happens when you least expect it and it sneaks up on you, especially, mm. you know, depression and anxiety, these things. Often people don't realise that's what's going on, um, particularly with anxiety. And my bouts with anxiety over my life, I, you know, I didn't realise what was going on. I sort of, I just didn't know the signs. I knew them academically, I read the papers, I knew mm. that, but I, di- I didn't know what it would feel like for me until afterwards I was kind of like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I didn't realise that. 
And so mm. I've had to sort of learn that for myself, what it feels like. And that's a, we can use a word called metacognition for that as well. Right. So learning what it feels like when my body's going into this elevated physiological response. Um, and I might feel a bit sweaty. I might feel my voice might change. I might feel twitchy and to recognise those signs and not ignore them. Do you get cranky? Yeah, I get short-tempered, yeah. Because I think that I'm in a permanent state of crankiness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try box breathing later on. Um, what Cognitive reframing and um, what, what, what other kind of techniques can you... Well, what is that, Bashley? What, what, yeah, so what? so it's, it's trying to reframe things um, and get in the habit of it. So a lot of the things that... So the breathing technique and, and, and reframing that you want to practice them like going to the gym. So when something does come up, it's easy. You can just do it, right? If you do it, try and do it for the very first time when something's come up or life's difficult, it's much harder to do that because you haven't got that, mm. um, that muscle memory, so to speak. And so reframing might be uh, something that you initially assume is negative or you know, this is... This is the, you know, you mean, oh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. This is going to set me back, or this is going to muck up this. And then, and sometimes a year later, you think, wow, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. I, I you know, um, like we were talking about before, maybe we, I move out of the city, right? At the time, you think COVID is terrible for me. It's this, it's a, and then 10 years later, it's the best thing. I, it, it bumped me to have a total lifestyle change. Mm. So you can try and think about that before, not waiting 10 or five years, but thinking about it, why it's happening. Yeah. Um, and try and think, well, maybe this is a, is a positive thing and look for the silver line, lining and, and try and figure out how you can reframe that um, and get in the habit of reframing those things. It's interesting too because previously to COVID, I'm talking about COVID again, but previously to COVID, we were all doing our own thing. It felt like everyone's doing their own thing. We all kind of made our life our, our, our life and our way through society, et cetera, and business and working and families. It's like we now we're in a situation where the whole world is experiencing uncertainty all at once. Mm. That energy is like not a good energy, right? No, and know. and you know, listening to the news and watching the whole fiasco of Trump and America and Brexit and there's a lot of things else going around the world that is incredibly negative and further uncertainty, which is scary and some scary people out there as well. That all kind of enhances our individual experience our, our sensitivity we're human mm. beings and we're very sensitive feeling people and seeing all that and hearing all that on a reg, on a continual regular basis with no end in sight really must play a, a, a quite a, a not a good impact uh, impact on our lives yeah i yeah i agree and that i mean well how do we fix it come on how do we fix it expert i try not to <laughs> so there, there are little things and there are big things i try yeah. not to watch the news yeah i try Certain times, yeah. This year, I tried to take breaks from social media mm-hmm. um, because of that. So the news and, and and social media has its own you know, negative reinforcement loops. Yeah. News is hugely negatively biased, right? It's, it's 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 designed in a particular way to create fear. Yeah, and so you know, or trying to avoid those things. Yeah, engagement, and yeah. whether it's online, it's, it's you know, it's clickbaiting or it's it's, it's eyeballs on a screen. Um, so it's trying to limit that kind of things. Um, but even, even before COVID, right, we're, we're moving at a pace. So I talk in some groups around exponential functions, right, this idea that, that people have maybe heard of that. It's just sort of this curve which goes flat at first and then it 
it goes, it curves like a hockey stick and then it goes straight up. Um, people talk about that in terms of the speed of computing power, how it's doubling every year and a half, I think. Um, and so we're starting to see exponential functions, not just in computing, but in lots of different areas. And so AI and biotech. Um, and as these different nonlinear functions interact, what we're going to see is greater change and change happening at a pace that we are not used to, right? So we've already seen some of that happening this year. And mm -hmm. whether it's tech or politics or whatever it is, things are just going to happen much faster now, I think. Mm. Um, and so even COVID aside, I think if you want to sort of be part of the global world in this way and, and, and work successfully, you have to be okay with uncertainty. And there's negative and positive uncertainty is we're going to see amazing levels of positive things happening that we just didn't see around the corner as well. So there'll be some negative things, but there'll be positive as well. So it goes both ways. And to try and predict those is almost impossible, I think. We know th things are coming down the pipeline. Um, and so we have to try and get in a space around that uncertainty that it feels okay. Are us human beings designed to deal with so much uncertainty? Depends what you mean with the word designed, but I don't think, I think the, the best answer is no, we're not. We haven't, we evolved, if you like, seeing things, physical things changing slowly in very linear space, um, you know, traveling slowly over distance. We're just not used to seeing things happening at scale and so quickly. Mm. So, 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 no, we're not. And that's why I think our brains evolved for uncertainty to be like a fear stimulus, to be uncomfortable because yeah. that, there were negative things. Now they're part of life and they're becoming, they're negative and positive and they're part of life. You can't really escape it. So that's, uh, that's, that's the key to it, that we haven't evolved for like, this new world. And so it does feel uncomfortable. Mm. I mean, people for ages were talking about success, how to manage fear, fear the fear, fear feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm. You know, just be strong, be tough, break through this. You know, now this last 12 months, it seems to be real focus on, as I said, resilience, mindfulness, uh, mental health. There's kind of a softer side to society is coming through now, right? Yeah. On mass. Um, and why was it so, I don't know, it was a bit tough before, tougher, that, that we, we didn't want to show our soft side. We didn't want to show that we were uncertain or weak or having issues or, or you know, concerns or anxieties around uh, uncertainty, etc. Fear of perfection as well. That's another big, big yeah. aspect. Yeah, I mean, you could start, I started to see these things changing pre-COVID, right? You started to see these movements. Sleep was the big one. Mm -hmm. These sort of, sort of health things around sleep and the idea of doing an all-nighter went from like a badge of honour. Yeah, I did it all night yeah, and yeah. got it done. And to yeah. like, well, that's something to be embarrassed about. It's like coming into the office drunk or something. This Done both of those? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there are companies I hear that, that have a sleep tracker and if people come in and they haven't slept, then they're not they're told oh to go God, home. Oh, right? really? Yeah. Let's talk about um, uh, psychological hormesis. Hormesis, yeah. So hormesis is this, this idea, so it's kind of similar to the idea before, like the, the bushfire thing. It's kind of similar to that. It's that the small amount of something's actually good for you. And we see this uh, with... The popular topics we hear about at the moment is, you know, going to the sauna, so heat stress or cold stress, so environmental hormesis. 
um, and that it, you know when you're in the sauna you get these heat shock proteins. There's really interesting data now that shows um, if you use a sauna up to a certain temperature, say two or three times a week, then your your longevity will be increased, your all-cause mortality, so dying of basically anything or everything, drops. Um, oh. And likewise, you see similar benefits from, from the cold. Mm. So both those things, in larger amounts, will kill you, right? If you're locked in a sauna, you're going to die. If you're mm. left in the ice, you're going to die, right? Mm. But in small amounts, they sort of get this response from your body, which is hugely beneficial. So fasting is another one as well. Again, if you stop eating... It's not going to be great long term, but over short shorter periods, it seems to be very good for your body mm. and for longevity and all kinds of things. So, taking that from sort of biology and the environment and applying it to psychology, so ca- can small amounts of things that are negative boost your psychological well-being? Mm. So the idea of being exposed to small amounts of uncertainty and sort of grow that mm. bit by bit ambiguity. How does that feel? Get used to that. So that's that's what I mean by yeah, psychological hormesis. It's not it's not a phrase that's bounced around that much. Yeah. But you'll certainly hear about, you know, sauna and, and cold cryotherapy and ice baths and all that in the same way. I used to feel like I'd have to hit a wall before change significant change would happen. It's almost mm-hmm. like it had to hit rock bottom before I could bounce back. Or like the, it's as it's as low as it could go. Yeah. Like I mean it'd be terrible if it continued to go lower. <laughs> But um, I guess there's some people that does. But to 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 feel that you've hit that wall, for some reason, I then kick into gear. I think perhaps it's survival, yeah. survival mode, that I then achieve a lot by being really focused and determined. It's but like it's a bounce back. Do you think it's does that low moment change your mind somehow? Is it like that you, you kind of something snaps? And you like you just get mm. okay, that. Enough is enough. I'm fed yeah, up. Yeah. Is that what's happening, or is it? I used to drink, and you know, like everybody, uh, have a have a you know glass of wine to yeah. a night or something. Um, and then you know, I used to have some terrible hangovers, and I just one day just said, "That's it." Mm. And I have to go. I'm a black and white girl. That's it. I can't touch it again. And it gave me energy to stop determination. And I haven't had a drink for ten years, you know, and I feel mm. better for it. Um, but it's like I have to. It's like committing to an idea when we're presenting a brand or a project or answering someone's brief. It's like you, you kind of, there's a, there's a, that sounds kind of dramatic, there'd be an element of suffering <laughs> to get yeah. to that point. But there's a kind of feeling of you're excited by the opportunity, but you're fearful of not cracking the best idea, not having the best idea. Yeah. And so there's an aspect of personal drain. If you do it by yourself, if you do it in a collective group, then it's, it's different because you're all sharing it and it's not such a dramatic experience but when I was starting out it would be I'd, you know the presentation be coming up the, the night before and you just go oh my god I haven't got I haven't got the best idea yeah and you put yourself in a lot of a lot of personal doubt which is unhealthy as well but some there's an aspect of that actually drives you to 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 come out of that with an ultimate I like your ultimate idea you're feeling that you've actually gone from that point of not knowing and the point of not having the having it resolved yeah. to actually getting to a point where you've put yourself through a tremendous pressure uh, or much more in-depth kind of questioning and research to kind of come out of it with something which is unique or special yeah. or spot on as the client often says you know you got it you know 
Yeah. But that's kind of like a, it's not a good place to be in. But I've, I've found that just being happy and going along and coming up with ideas isn't necessarily, you don't necessarily kind of get the best solutions that way. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's kind of like you hear, the other day, Jerry Seinfeld talking about it. So he has bouts with depression and mental health and things like that. Mm. And he made a comment that, but he's too scared. He doesn't really want to get rid of it completely because he feels like that part of those swings allow him to write the comedy that he yeah. writes. And so you need, you know, if everything's just even keel, smooth, 24-7, year after year, then you, you lose something, obviously, on the negative, but also the positive. Mm. And so I think there's something, there's something interesting in that. So there are studies that, that link... Um, not in hugely strong ways, but do link mental health fluctuations with, with, with creative individuals. Mm. And that's sort of this theory that people like to believe. The media loves that as well, that this mm. idea that, you know, you're going to be painting and suffering and cutting off your ear and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Right? And th- th- there is some data that supports a bit of that. Um, and I certainly feel similar things in, in my life. And, you know, mm. and, and I'll use the word creative, you know, in science and coming up with ideas that you do want to have ups and downs and mm. um, often you need the down to get clarity around a new direction. Um, um, and I go through that cycle quite a lot. I mean, I've always thought that everybody else has got it all sussed. <laughs> everybody <laughs> else has got it worked out. Yeah. How many of us, I mean, how come we're not designed, we're not put on this earth kind of knowing what to do? We don't know what to eat. We don't know how much exercise to do. We don't know how much sleep to have. We become these kind of ridiculous human beings that just like keep getting advisors to give us advice all the time. <laughs> we listen to it for a bit and then we fizz- it fizzles out. We go off back to our old habits. What is that? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. It, it, it's, I don't have the answer, but we can tap in on... Damn. You know, <laughs> but there, so there's one thing that, you know, that, that our biology is, is from a time when you know, we didn't have whatever, you know, donuts on tap or whatever. We didn't have <laughs> this, this surplus of calories, right? Yeah, so we, we, would, we would have a small amount of food here and there and then there'd be a big, a huge windfall of food and then maybe we wouldn't eat for 24 hours. And so it was a very different sort of feeding schedule for biology. Um, and so it, if, 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 you live in, if you're in a world like that and you see something, you know, a thing of honey or whatever, it makes sense that you're going to crave that, you're going to want to get into as much of that as possible, right? Mm. So there's things around conserving energy and getting calories into that makes sense. And then when you don't need to do exercise and you just hit a button on your phone, you have whatever meal appearing at your doorstep, um, you know, those things don't work out in the same way. Those sort of urges, base urges, which is interesting when we come back to to intuition and whether you should follow those urges or not, right, can lead you astray. Mm. So I think it's interesting, yeah, about evolution and, and biology and psychology there. Um, other people might say that if you can tap in to you, how you really feel and you're very in touch with that, you have good metacognition of your own body and your own mind, then you, you would know how much to eat and how much to exercise. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah, yeah, some people do say that. Well, it's just interesting that we're not, well, just it seems to be we're not wired or not know. Anyways, yeah. Um, no, yeah, I mean, every meal you're thinking, oh, what should I eat? You don't think about the particular nutrients that you need, I mean, unless you're kind of a, a food expert. Mm. Um, let's talk about, let's get back onto the resilience track. Um, sure. The practice of gratitude. 
I think that's something that you talked about the other day and how to practice being grateful. And how do we know I'm being grateful enough? Yeah, so yeah. how do you know? So the th- I mean, I remember hearing people go on about sort of gratitude diaries and journals, and I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, it's just woo-woo, it's a new agey thing. And, it's not. and then I actually one day downloaded the papers, the study, I was like, oh, shit, okay. It, these, this is pretty powerful. They seem to have pretty good data behind them. Mm. And this is what I find interesting. You know, it's, it's, this is like a journal or a diary, so it's literally writing something down. So I do things like this on my iPad, so it doesn't, I don't think it matters if it's paper or not but committing it to writing or speaking it to somebody. And we can, I at first fell for the, the, the error that, well, I can just think those thoughts and go, yeah, oh, be grateful for this, for that, for the house, for the car, for the family, for the green trees or whatever. But just thinking it didn't seem to have the same effect on me. So I needed to either talk to someone about it or just write it down. And something like committing it to writing mm-hmm. seemed to make the difference. But I found in my life, and there's good data to support this, if you do that every morning or once a day that you do see changes in mood sort of more positive mood and people mm. get in the habit of doing that and they will walk around to be at work and they'll be, be grateful for a glass of water or coffee I'll be grateful that I've still got yeah. a job or what, and they just it's like, oh, it's like a subtle reframing right we talk about cognitive reframing so it's kind of a bit like that but again building that hap- habit so it happens mm. automatically I think you you're right with that I mean I, you can think the whole world is ending and, and nothing is right but if you just sit down and actually make, try to make a list, it might be hard at first. Yeah. It might be really hard. And you might not think there's anything. But the, the fact that you're alive, mm. the fact that you can breathe, the fact that um, the small things, start looking at the small things in life that actually are uh, good. Um, you know, I, I've, I've done that at times when I just think, Jesus, this is just too tough. There's too much stress, too much uh, negativity, too much um, things going wrong. It does help rebalance. I think the key thing, though, is actually staying staying on that and doing it every day. Yeah, as and you said, it should the be important. Thing as well, yeah. yeah, you do it for a few days or once. And then you start, <laughs> then you start feeling good again. You're like, yeah, whatever. I don't need. Yeah, that. yeah, and exactly. It's like I go to the gym once a year, um, <laughs> just to firm up a little bit. <laughs> um, being social. Um, what is the importance of social interactions? I know it sounds like a pretty obvious <laughs> question. Not social media, but social. Yeah, well, physical social. You see this in you know, humans are a, a social species, right? We don't do well in isolation. That's something that's been challenging for a lot of people, and I felt that this year as well. Like mm. working at home a lot, and even if I go into the lab, you know, there's not many people there. It's very quiet, and so. Yeah. And then when I go into a social situation again, I'm kind of like, "Well, I'm not used to this." So, so we need to have that that social interaction, and there's all kinds of reasons for that. I think that, that one of the, the more simple and one of the much more basic reasons is that when you're in the company of people, you, you, you manage your impression more than you would for yourself. Right? So that sounds a little bit strange, but there's a thing called impression management mm. where um, you, want, you want to come across well to other people and so you know, you would, you, if no one's going to see you, you're walking in your backyard, you're not going to dress up. If you go into a busy place you're going to dress up a bit more so there's all these subtle cues that you make more of an effort for other people than you would for yourself if you're living at home whether that's neither of us did today did we (laughs) (laughs) i'm in a a t-shirt yeah i'm in a denim shirt as usual i've been wearing it for three days but yeah i mean that's interesting so i think simply that in itself makes a difference then you start doing that 
I noticed that as well. Like when in the first three months of the lock, well, the first lockdown, had a new baby. You know, I wasn't. You know, I was just wearing whatever, mm. um, and I wasn't shaving. And then, and then you start to sort of, I don't know, you see things subtle, subtly differently. And then you, when you go out That's again, true. you make an effort. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling good. Like simply making that effort to go out can boost your mood. And I think that's important. There are, there are other things on a more biological level as well. Um, you know, we, we get chemicals released in our brain, we interact socially with people, we mimic them and, and, and we smile more. All these kind of things happen as well. But I, I go to a cafe near my house um, in Randwick uh, every morning with the dogs and just over the few years we lived there, just kind of the interaction with kind of regulars or mm-hmm. not knowing anybody at first and then one by one you meet people and then new people and the kind of conversation, the laughter, the kind of the random conversations that you didn't plan, you know, it's just like it's just, it's just random. Yeah. Whereas everything else in your life might be really, tr- you're trying to work it all out and kind of organize it all. These random uh, coincidences or conversations or uh, the unexpected actually is quite um, stimulating, I find. Oh, definitely. That's, that's, that's what I miss the most from working at home. Like, not when you're around people, you'll, you have these moments where you're just leaning against the wall and you'll be like talking about something that seems totally irrelevant, not important. Mm. But then an idea will just spark. It'll just be the smallest thing, and then you give it, you give it a moment, right? Because no, this is not a scheduled Zoom meeting. There's not, there's no time mm. pressure. And then you go, huh? What if that, what if that was the case? Or so you just play with this idea, and you start chatting it, and then something just builds from that. When everything is scheduled, you know, I, I find that really hard to. Do mm. that on, on whatever your you know video conference thing of choice is. It's just you feel time pressure, and so you don't just sit there staring at the wall because it feels awkward, you know, staring at a screen at someone. So you you yeah you miss out on the random. And and definitely during the the lockdown. I mean, I was in Avalon recently, and I had two weeks of being isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's I mean I can't imagine it longer than that it would be unbearable. Um, and you do miss people and social media and phone calls and. Uh, you know that kind of technology forms of communication is is good it's something but it's not yeah. the same as the human interaction I mean uh, you wanted to hug someone you wanted to shake someone's hand you know you wanted to see someone face to face I mean that you def- definitely kind of miss that I think that um, when it, what I was going to th- say was not, not all of us are social people I know when I was younger I was terrified by people I was terrified by any kind of social engagement because I was really shy I mean, what do, what do you think that is as well, just in terms of that fear of people or, um, you know, that, in, that interaction, which we know it's healthy yeah. uh, in a lot of ways, but not the, not the kind of not wanting to be part of that is, not, is something which I tr- struggled for quite a while to overcome, and now I don't feel so uncomfortable about it. Yeah. Um, I was shit myself about meeting you today, but now <laughs> you seem to be a nice guy, and, you know, it's all, nice it's all working out well. Yeah. But yeah, in, introversion and extroversion, you know, they're real things. And there are theories around how our nervous system and our brains deal with stimulation. So some people might find it, introverts that is, might find it overly stimulating. So being at a party or a crowd, it's just, it's, 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 just, it's overwhelming. And so mm. you, you go out to dinner or something and you're just exhausted afterwards because you've, you've been trying to block out and suppress all this extra stimulation. And so it's just absolutely draining. Um, and I can I can relate. I think of myself as somewhere in that sort of. Although I can I can be flexible, but I th- overall I think of myself as an introvert mm. because because I find 
while I, I end up enjoying it, being social and doing that, I find it quite exhausting at the same time. Mm. Um, even when I'm enjoying it, which sounds strange, but that's kind of the way it is. Mm. Um, so I think it comes down to how sensitive your brain is to stimulation. Um, and if it's too sensitive, then you, you, it's too overwhelming and you're blocking it out and you just get exhausted by that. So you're going to start avoiding those situations. Mm. So is it okay in terms of building resilience? Is it okay to avoid those situations? Because, I mean, I, I've, I've, at times, I've kind of just withdrawn myself from things or you've gone out despite that fear and you then go you know what actually it was a really great I had a great time I don't know what I was thinking yeah it's a bit like that kind of that area of not knowing that kind of place where you have you're kind of in the middle of nowhere and moving forward or back or staying still um and I mean equally sometimes you've gone out despite that feeling and had a terrible time um but I don't, I was kind of always, always kind of wondering what what causes that, you know? What is it that's is it the is it our, our survival instincts? The wanting to go out or the wanting or to or not going out? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the sti- I think it's the, 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 the finding that the stimulation overwhelming and it's, it's like imagine if when you went out it was like someone put on I don't know some thrash heavy metal music that that I would find like give me a headache. So maybe so maybe for someone who's very introverted. Um, and this is how uh, sometimes people with autism are, are described as well, but the, the, the sensory, the sound, the lights, and the movement, is just, it's just scattered and it's overwhelming, mm. it's too much. Mm. So maybe if it's, if, it, if it's not like that, but on that spectrum, on that, it's too much, it's too stimulating, then you probably want to control that amount of stimulation. So it is better to, to keep it in, under control and not overdo it. But I think people then are labeled as being antisocial or you feel yeah. inadequate, you feel, which is even more pressure on yourself thinking, oh, how come I'm, I'm not social? How come I'm not confident and out there with everybody else having a good old laugh? Yeah. You know, but I think it, it, so you, what you're saying is embrace the way that you are. To a certain degree, yeah. I mean, it, it will make certain careers or jobs more difficult, let's face it. There's, there's, there's flexibility, but there are certain things which you maybe shouldn't do if... Mm. You find that over that sort of uh, social situation is over stimulating, just too much. Then it's going to rule a few things out. But mm. but otherwise, yeah, I think. And then social, uh, you know, social media, another form of socializing. Oh, yeah, is this a too big to discuss? It's. I mean, I you, have you said that you're cu- <laughs> cutting back on it. I, I I still use Twitter, and I don't. I stopped using Facebook. A few years ago, I started using it a little bit during the first lockdown, and then because I was bored, and then I realized what I was doing. And I, just, I, I stopped using it because I don't like the way I don't like Facebook as a company and what they've done, and the kind of the negative influence they've had on humanity. I think is huge, mm. um, and so I don't use them anymore. I still have an account, I think, but I just don't really log in or anything. Um, so, so one thing is a thing called behavioral addiction which mm. is now an accepted thing. And so most of these apps are basically designed to be addictive. And the way they, they do the most, there's lots of ways in which they do that, but the, the, the crucial one is intermittent rewards. Yeah. And this is adding these little sort of unpredictable yeah. delays. So when you're checking your, your inbox or your um, retweets or whatever, whatever the thing might be, they'll put in certain delays in there. So you're waiting. And so then ah. you get the dopamine hit. And so the, all those apps are basically engineered in a way to make them addictive, okay? 
And then you also you have bright colors and um, and music and videos and all this other stuff that then pulls you in. And that's um, so so screens and kids is a massive deal now, right? And so certain my friends that have let their kids use screens now can't get the screens away from their kids, and it's for those similar mm. reasons that. Yeah. It's not like reading a book, right? These things are very bright colors. They, they're yeah. moving. They're animated. There's reward sounds and there's intermittent rewards. There's all that's built into whatever the platform is, and so it really is addictive in a way that you know reading a book to a kid is not. So that's where I think it's potentially the most dangerous to kids. And it, it also eliminates that fear I was talking about about being physically social with people. If you have that fear, yeah. you don't actually necessarily experience that level. Plus, you could be communicating with a thousand plus people yeah. in one post, which is, you can't relate to that really. In the real world, it'd be ridiculous. It'd be like you're sitting here and having a thousand people sitting around us while we're having a conversation. Yeah, it'd be yeah, like giving a... Well, I, uh, well how, do we, how do we deal with that? Because I think that does... That, I, I find that in the lockdown, I was, I was spending so much time on there. Uh, either listening to the radio, watching stuff, reading stuff, reading the news, yeah. uh, posting stuff and kind of, you know, monitoring how many likes it got. Um, you know, it's ridiculous. And, and I actually felt, there's times when I felt like, shit, I'm really addicted to this stuff. I'm, I'm really, this has become my main source of, this is my world in my hand. Mm. Uh, and I stopped seeing the world that, that was around me, the physical world. You, your glute, the phone, your mobile. You know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's a huge problem. I think it's like just it's just amplified and it's just gone up. I don't know, ten hundred thousand x this last year. Mm. So it's proven that it's not healthy. I, I don't think it's healthy, but it's also not a surprise, right? That if you bundle everything together—your socials, your music, your information, your news, every and everything else—into one device, it's gonna have, it's gonna do weird things to your brain and your psychology and your mind. Don't stop listening to the podcast on your phone, though. I mean, that's important. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, no, it's 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 bizarre um, situation. So, how do we monitor that? How do we maintain a, a healthy balance? I think we've we've got to have in breaks from social media. So that's become a thing where you have a holiday from social media. You don't need to make a big announcement. You don't need to make a big thing and get you know. Make social media out of doing that break, but yeah. How long? Five minutes? I mean, what do you think? Oh, no, no, no. D- <laughs> days, right? You need to you need to stop craving, and so that's what I find. That's there's no absolute numbers or things, but I find that that when I go on holiday, the first day I'll be reaching for my phone, and I'll be like, "Why? I don't need to check anything. I don't need to check an email." Um, so I've taken that, that was the other thing that I did. Um, last year was take all my email off my phone mm. so I couldn't That's interesting. To break that habit. So I find that, that, so you go on holiday and you decide you're not going to use social media and not going to use any work things on your phone and you'll realise that if it's in sight when you see it, you'll reach for it. Mm. If it's not in sight, you'll be, you'll be thinking where is it? You'll look around. So you have these these urges, you know, it's, and it's, it's you know like a drug addict looking for a pack of cigarettes or a beer or the rat looking for cook, whatever it is. Um, and I find that after a couple of days, that'll go away, though. Mm. And then once that goes away, then I can feel myself starting to unwind and relax. And so that's... Once you've eaten your nails down, yes. to, the, <laughs> down to the bone. Um, but I think there's a, it's a bit like when I used to drink, I'd feel this kind of space that I needed to fill. Like as soon as I thought, mm. I, I, there's a feeling of like not emptiness, yeah. but 
the beginning of emptiness, <laughs> the, the beginning of nothing, kind of quiet time. That's where I tend to kind of, oh, I'll check, oh, I'll, you know, some yeah. distraction from filling, filling the need, I guess, to fill this constantly fill empty space, fill your life yeah. with things. That's, I, I think there's something to do with that because I, and then how do you, because I think people will naturally feel, some people feel uncomfortable with that space. Yeah. Because you feel vulnerable or you should be doing something or the whole world's busy, I need to be busy, what am I doing thinking just sitting here looking at a tree? You know, I mean, <clears throat> how do you, is it okay to have downtime and what is downtime and what is, how should you fulfill, how should you kind of balance your life so you have times where you're not on or on in kind of a commercial sense or mm. uh, is it okay to just kind of, you know, breathe? I think it's okay to breathe, yes. I'm happy to go and record that now. Um, yeah, so there's a micro and the macro. I think we need to take breaks. We need to take holidays that are, you know, days or weeks or longer periods. But we need to find time every day where we are not, like you said, filling that void with something immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't really know a lot about what the long-term consequences of that are, right? We've always had books or things, and you know, it's on a train or on a bus, you maybe you'll to music or you'll open a book or something but not to the degree it is now where you have to line up for a few minutes and everyone just pulls their phone out right mm. like it's, it's just like scary to be uh, uncertain and be standing there with nothing to do mm. and so we we've kind of eliminated everyone with smartphones eliminated those those down t- potential mm. down times yeah um and so it's we're, we're missing that right and so one of the things we study in the lab uh is mind wandering we mind wander a lot, depending on what you're doing, you know, 30, 40% of the day. And if, as you reduce that, we don't really know, that's, a, that what, you know, that's an experiment. We don't know what's going to happen to humanity as we take away mind wandering. Mm. But I don't think it's going to be good. No. Um, because we're going to be scared to think, to just let our own thoughts run. And, and there's all kinds of theories about why we mind wander and what comes up and what, what purpose. Mm. It's everything from ideation and creativity, right? through to mental health and things like that. And when it goes out of control, it's negative. Um, and that, is, as a field, is fairly new in psychology and neuroscience. But just to take all that away, I think, is very dangerous when we don't know what the effects um, are going to be. Yeah, I love that mind-wandering. As a kid, I used to lie, in the, lie on, the, on the grass and look up at the clouds and just watch them fly by or Amazing. drift by. And kind of a form of meditation, I think. I find that going on my motorbike or out on a boat or whatever, that... You know, you kind of lose yourself in that kind of not really focusing on anything. Mm. You know, that, that's a really cool feeling that. Yeah. Which kind of, I, I personally kind of really need more so. Um, yeah, I've experimented before. a bit this past year with having a new baby, right? Rocking him to sleep. And, th- and then sometimes I'll listen to podcasts or audiobooks, And other times I'll intentionally not have any tech with me. So mm. I have to just sit there quietly on the rocking chair and... Mm. And just think and let my mind wander. Lovely. Um, yeah. Obviously, good overall health. Uh, part of building resilience, as everybody always says, is you know, be fit, eat the right things, sleep, all this kind of stuff. You're going to obviously enhance that, talk about that. Why is health such a key contributor to building resilience? Because the mind and brain and body are all, they're all linked, right? Um, what? Yeah. Really? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I, I, I lecture in first year psychology on consciousness and, and talk about consciousness and how everything you eat and drink changes 
who you are and mm. changes your conscience to a degree. Mm. And there's always some students who are just mind blown by this. Yeah. Right. But you know, if you have you know, a glass of wine or you have caffeine or like it's, it, it, you can, f- there's tangible, obvious differences there. Yeah. And so the state of your body and your brain is going to change your mind and, you know, it's going to change how resilient you are. Mm. And so that's everything. So this is this big topic of well being, which again is sort of been pushed into limelight in the last mm-hmm. 12 months or last. So two years. And that is everything from the food you eat, when you eat that food, trying to keep sugar low. So, so These are the sort of basic tips that people have heard, you know, alcohol low, sugar low, um, good fats, good oils, high in proteins, and, and then intermittent fasting, these kinds of, there's all kinds of ways of doing that. Um, maybe you don't, you, you don't have breakfast until midday or something like that, so you sort of eat from lunchtime through to whatever your dinner time is going to be. Let's start with food. I stopped th- a while ago. I stopped. I thought about food as a way to play with my mind rather than my body. Mm. When I made that change, I thought, mm. well, mind first, brain and mind first, and then the body thing will be easier mm. because if I can, if I can have the right foods, then I would think going for a run or going to working out is going to be much easier. I have more control over my thoughts. All these kinds of things, right? If I'm having sweet sugar th- all the time, I'm going to be more tired and irritable. And that, that difference is one of the clear things that I noticed years mm-hmm. ago when I sort of started ex- doing sort of these safe experiments with myself and playing around with carbs and sugars and started changing that during the day and cutting out sugars and carbs. And I realized that the afternoon could be full of energy. I wouldn't have to be like if feeling exhausted and having coffee and snacks and all to try and keep things going all afternoon mm. by not having carbs at lunch or, or in the morning. That, that would be different. So that was one of the things that, that changed my point of view on these things. So, uh, yeah, I try and think about the, th- the practice and things, how you lead your life around the brain and the mind first, and then the physical, the body, how you look, all that kind of stuff, secondary. And that will be all be much easier if your brain is in a good state. So you saw a significant difference when you did that focus? Yeah. Um, and nowadays I tend to I'll intermittent fast a fair bit, not every day. Um, I try and eat a certain way during the week and then relax with that on the weekend. Um, but I'm a big fan of what I call like just, just trying things, mm. doing a safe experiment. Don't, don't fall for the trap that just because you think it won't change how you feel, change your life, you shouldn't try it, right? We, it's too easy to think that. Sort of, and I thought that, I thought, well, I'll try getting rid of sugar and carbs during the day. It probably won't make any difference. I'll just do it anyway. And I was like, oh, it makes a huge difference uh, and I couldn't predict that in the same way that you know you often can't predict how good you're going to feel after exercise until you do it and you're like mm. I feel so good why, don't I, why didn't I do this before like, yeah. and, and you do but you kind of forget that or you don't predict it well so there's something interesting around just trying things experimenting them and that opens the door to a, to a big field called biohacking that people get very obsessed with and I've mm. had times where I'm obsessed with that and that is taking nootropics and supplements, you know, doing the sauna and the cryotherapy and all, all kinds of things, both stimulating and relaxing and in between and trying to boost memory. And that's a big field um, that people get really into. And so I think a little bit of that is good, just sort of to try things mm. um, rather than assume you couldn't do it or it's not going to make a difference. Maybe it won't, but you don't know until you try. So you can surprise yourself. I talk about being fittish in the book. And, you know, that kind of came about by 
I don't know why, a bit of a perfectionist. And I, every time I yeah. would want to do a sport or train, I'd want to like, you know, try to do it as best as possible and become an athlete or whatever. It just was, again, that's intimidating. And yeah. it's a short-lived thing because you fail quite quickly, you yeah. know, if you've got that in your mind. I'm always very envious of people who, who train just naturally have trained the whole life. They've just done something which they feel like surfers, actually being down in northern beaches. There's so many surfers down there now. And I watch those guys, and they're like 80% of them don't even get up every day. I mean, they're down there on the waves, but they're actually just socializing and waiting for that wave. Mm. And they don't all, they're not all like Olympic surfers. They're just actually out amongst nature. The salt is good for them, the open air. Uh, it's physical. Um, and you talk to these guys, and they're just like, they, they've done it since they were little kids. And it's just part of their it's life. It's the lifestyle, yeah. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like Mine's graphic design. It's like cleaning your teeth, right? You don't. You want to get into that. That you want to build that habit, so you don't. I presume most people, you know, don't have an internal debate every morning and every evening about cleaning their teeth. And so you want to be in that place where you're just going to do the thing, and you're not going to go, "Well, do I really need to do it tomorrow? Maybe I did it yesterday." Mm. Once you start doing this debate thing with yourself, then it's it's probably not going to happen. No. So you want to have it as part of a routine, and there's a lot of you know popular podcast that's talking about you know routine is liberating and this sort of discipline is liberating Mm. i think there's some truth to that to a degree that if you have particularly a morning routine i think it's useful because you don't use up your resources trying to make many decisions and figure out how to do this what should i eat what should i wear should i do this or not do this you kind of just have that rhythm that you've built and this habit um and so you build the right habit you don't need to think about it you can do it and save your resources for other things that are more ambiguous and we need to be, need better decisions? Um, I have this thing kind of as a bit of a self-sabotage. Like if I mm-hmm. think, okay, oh my God, I see myself in the mirror, I got I to start working out. I will go have a hamburger. I will have a <laughs> shake. I'll do a pork pie, whatever it is, sausage yeah. roll. I, I start to go straight for the brown foods, you know, the, the pies stuff. and stuff. <laughs> and um, what is that? I mean, that's like, it used to be when I was ha- having a drink, it would be, I got to stop drinking it make me drink more. I've got to get fit. I do less exercise. Like, am I unique there or is there a lot of other people think that way? That's a good question. I mean, would you, were you thinking of, of, of the one last drink or the one last, you know, before I go and do that thing, I'll just go to town on some hamburger. Like, was it like that? Like, it's just the, the farewell thing. Is that how you think about it or is it? Uh, I don't know. There would be, a, there would just, I might still do it, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to do as little exercise as possible i mean I, I mean i walk my dogs three times a day um you know I do a lot of walking etc i will go to the gym you know i was uh when it's covid safe etc i mean i do like doing things but i've never found the thing that is actually that i just do every day without without thinking about yeah. you know that is actually i'm very envious of people that actually have found that and and, and stick to it and it's, for them it's not even exercise it's actually just a thing that they do yeah but I mean, there's probably people like me who are just constantly looking for that thing and never quite find it. People who, people, the same with their careers. Some people have been in multiple jobs. You did multiple things until you found this thing that you're absolutely passionate about and love. Not everybody in their life finds that thing. Mm. Um, is it because we're not open to it? Is it because you just haven't stumbled across it? I know you run, right? Yeah, I, do. I'm, I'm, I don't do long distance running, but I do a few times a week 
or every second day I'll run for three or four k's. Mm. There's a little bush track. I particularly like running on bush tracks. Mm. Where I'm surrounded by trees and the, you know, it's not a flat road, which I find a bit boring, but it is rocks and I've got to figure out where to foot placement, all that kind of stuff I find interesting mm. and relaxing, yeah. Um, and the, we have an Aussie, Australian Shepherd, and so I, I, I will sort of, if I'm not feeling like it, I'll sort of try and think, well, he's got, he's got some exercise. I, I, I'll use him as an excuse to get, mm. get going. And I try and do it as a, as a thing. It's not for, for me to get exercise. It's, it's a daily it's a routine or every two days or something yeah. like that. So don't um, don't buy a French bulldog because they don't <laughs> run. You get like two meters and they go okay, that's it. But um, that breakthrough, they kind of breakthrough because obviously what we're saying is to build resilience, your health, well-being, uh, your diet, a lot of things are contributing to that. Yeah. And so get finding the thing. I mean, what's the minimum you should be doing? Do you reckon? Because they say ten thousand steps a day. There's walking. the stepping thing. Yeah, I think it's it's like you need to experiment for yourself. So there are things. It depends what you you can do. A lot of walking. You can do high intensity interval training, which is probably the most seems to be the most efficient way to do exercise, where you mm. can lock out ten minutes or fifteen minutes and you, you're done. Like it mm-hmm. seems to boost your fitness as much as doing an hour or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to be technical with time and stuff, that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I don't know if there's one. Th- answer for everyone i think you've got to find the level that works for you that is sustainable uh an experiment mm. yeah and some people that get too obsessed uh, mm-hmm. and go too far like i'm i suffer from that you know if i'm going to do weightlifting i'm, I'm going to start getting like more or even with running that's why i say every second day because i start running every day and i'll hurt myself so i i have to sort of pull back cause i think more of the good thing is going to be better and it's not because you'll get an injury Mm. So I think yeah, experimenting safely on yourself and then with resilience, think about the immediate things that you're going to do when something comes up, mm-hmm. like the box breathing, the reframing, and then these other things from lifestyle, well-being that you can do every day. And just all those little things, the exercise, the taking it easy with the carbs and the sugar and the sleep. We haven't really gotten to sleep, but um, good sleep's really important. Um, all those things will build a base which makes the other stuff much easier when something throws you you know throws you off your game mm. if you have all that base habit in place it's going to be easier to get mm-hmm. back up again mm-hmm. and that's what resilience is i think yeah and we're going to talk about um short versus long-term stress um you know like stress obviously uh plays a pretty i mean there's a, you could say a positive part of our lives but you know Often than not, it's actually quite a negative, yeah. or it certainly feels for the individual under stress as being a really negative situation. I mean, what's long-term, what, so what is short-term stress? And so stress has this really interesting function. It's like an upside-down U, right? So a little bit, a small, moderate amount of stress is actually really good for performance, for cognition, for what, like, you, if I walked in here and I had zero stress, I'd be like, hey, how you doing? Um, yeah, sure, let's do it. Like, mm. you want a little bit of something to get you going. And then as you get more and more stress, that is that upside down you function, whatever I'm plotting here, memory and cognitive performance and all this actually start, it flattens out and then it starts to go down. So as you get past that point, your performance goes down and then you get extreme stress, you start to not function at all, you can even hallucinate all kinds of things. Mm. So that's just immediate short-term stress. So a little bit is good, a lot very bad. But then things are different when it comes to long term, hmm. um, and so 
And eventually burnout. Yeah, so this, this idea that, that so most, not all, but most animals, for example, don't have this idea of long-term stress, right? They'll, they'll be lying around, something will try and eat them, they'll have, you know, a minute of extreme stress and then they're lying around again or something mm. like that. So it's very different to worrying about mortgage and job and income and family, or like all these things that will keep us up at night time. Mm. Um, and so those long-term stresses which, which change your body and, and, you know, switch, sort of get you, move you towards this fight-or-flight response system where your immune system will start to down-regulate and, and digestion will down-regulate. All these things will start getting a little mucked up. Um, it'll be bad long-term. Mm. And, yeah, some primates, monkeys and humans are really the only animals where we see this, I think. I'm not sure about dolphins, but, yeah, certainly humans where we see this long-term stress. So a little bit of stress long-term ongoing is also really bad. Mm. So how do you know, what are the signs of long-term burnout? Uh, well, well, that's one. Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so sleep disruption yeah. is one. Um, and so you have these cortisol sort of standard cortisol patterns where it comes, it's higher in the morning and then it ramps down in the afternoon and the evening mm-hmm. and melatonin comes up and you get tired and you get the, the nice red lights that help you get ready for sleep. Um, and when those systems all go out of whack, then you'll be tired during the day and you'll be wide awake at night time and they, you start to get all out of whack. Um, typically, your body's ability to manage sugar in your blood will go wonky as well. Um, so you, your digestion will be funny. I said that. So all these things will start happening, and you may not notice them just at first, but they'll all start accumulating, and then you start to see changes in health. You might start to get sick more often, um, lack of sleep, and then it can get quite severe. You can see all kinds of things happening: skin rashes, you know, hair can fall out, all kinds of. Oh, that's what it things. was. It really affects your motivation. I mean, I, I've been in situations multiple times over my life where I've been, you know, I didn't really think it was burnout. I was absolutely exhausted um, from just doing everything at 100%, 110%. You know what I mean? Just, everything's just full on forever. Yeah. Um, and then your body just starts saying, hey, you know, you, need to, you get sick. And it's, it's almost like you're getting sick is like something to stop you, slow you down. Yeah, you, your body's trying to throw an anchor out to slow you down. Yeah, you. exactly. And then you put pressure on yourself thinking, you, you know, why am I I'm letting people down by not doing so, things I'm meant to be doing, etc.? That burnout is, is, a, is a terrible thing because actually what it can do is actually completely uh, make you withdraw from your everyday, from people around you, from society. Yeah. It can make you get um, off track or disheartened with your life and your, the future, etc. How do you build back up? What would be the first steps you would do to kind of start to build that back up again? I mean, obviously, it's probably good to get some kind of uh, advice from, from people, someone, a doctor or a yeah, it, it, Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor, so it's not specific advice for anyone. But yeah, I guess it depends how bad it is and probably whether you need medical intervention or not. Mm. Um, but that aside, you know, taking some time off whatever you're doing and taking a mental break and a physical break um, and putting yourself in a nurturing environment where you are safe you have got healthy foods and, and, and so the trap that I've fallen into that, that if, you, if you're in that state and you're trying to rebuild you probably don't need to be doing 
all the extreme things and doing intermittent fasting and all you know, like all this kind of mm. take a break from all those things. Just be gentle on Just yourself. Just be gentle on yourself and rebuild depending on, yeah. And, and it's going to be different for everyone, a little bit different for everyone. But yeah, stopping the things that you were doing that's led to that is probably an obvious first start. Mm. Um, and doing other different things, doing grounding things, doing sort of light physical things, doing gardening, creating with your hands. Um, I try and... Because one of the things I, I notice is that my, my curiosity and my excitement around work and the exper- experience we're doing will drop away and I'm mm. like, eh, who cares? And I'm like, well, that's not, that's not me. No. And so I've got, I'll try and back away from things and then I'll find a spark of inspiration somewhere random, like in one of those random conversations, right, um, which has been yeah, harder to do during COVID times. And, and that's where I often find a, a, the journey back to where I want to be starts at an unexpected place mm. where it'll be something, I don't know what, something, yeah, something I would not have expected, but it'll grab my interest and I'll be like, huh, mm. how does that thing work? That's interesting. And then before I know it, I've been thinking about this thing and how does it work? And then, and then I realise I'm already thinking about science and experiments again. Yeah. And... It doesn't feel like it felt like work, right? It's, it's, it's like a fun hobby again, and that's the place where I, I want to be. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I find that, I mean, I, coming in today, this is kind of the first time I've been back since uh, prior to Christmas break. Mm. And I was like driving around the block a couple of times before I came in, just thinking, <laughs> I can't do it, I can't do it. Oh. I don't want to come in here, not, cause, not for you, not but just, well, you know, I was going to cancel again. I did that last week. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that, that kind of feeling of starting, committing, getting back on track. There's something that's stopping me from doing that often. If I have, I have a break, I don't know what it is. It's, I enjoy the break. I enjoy that space. And that space is probably, more often than not, uh, recovery time from a hectic year or, you know, just actually getting to figure out how, how to be a human again and, or, or, you know, why, I don't know why. It kind of seems too extremes, but that downtime... Uh, a certain aspect of that downtime just being you know uh, more enjoying the the moment more than previously I guess you know we we get in a really kind of busy situation where it's kind of full on and a lot of distractions and actually that distractions I find is a distraction from myself from how I really feel or a distraction from focusing on my thoughts and my feelings etc my well-being even um, because I'm so busy working on other people's things or, or the business or et cetera, you know, this kind of, um, it's that sometimes that downtime where there's nothing else or it appears to be nothing else from your daily busyness is actually, it, it can be kind of tough actually. And I, I think people probably felt that during COVID where they've been forced to, you know, they're not with people, they're not working necessarily they go in on themselves. They go in on to their inner, their, their thoughts and mm. kind of questioning their life, where they're at, future, blah, 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 you know? Yeah. I, I know, I agree. I try, I've been trying to think about, it sounds weird to schedule that, but, but think about, because the problem is, you know, if you're productive and you're busy, then you don't, you think about those times as like it's going to slow you down, it's going to do this, I could be doing this, I could get this done. But those down times where you may reevaluate things, may find a new direction, may find, may answer the bigger picture, or may make radical changes, or whatever might happen, are actually more important than whatever else you could be doing. And trying to 
get used to psychologically that downtime as being more important than doing a particular job on a thing or writing mm. a thing or whatever the, the smaller job might be and giving it equal weighting, which is mm. kind of hard to do. Um, it's, pr- it? it's probably seen a bit of a luxury kind of waiting for that thing yeah. that comes along and goes, oh my God, I've got to do that. Like I'm, you're often waiting for that thing. Because yeah. there's, there's, there's plenty of things to do, obviously, in life, uh, in your day. But that's like you're just kind of wanting that, something to reveal itself that's like, well, like you say, you, saw, you, you started thinking about something, you got excited about it, and soon, sooner, sooner you kind of know it, you're kind of in amongst it again. Mm. I mean, how, how can you, I guess we can talk about intuition, et cetera, later on, um, but there's, there's certain signs, I guess. I mean, maybe there's signs that come along that we don't even see, that we're not... You know, are we are we in society now looking for the ultimate thing that we need to put our energy into, or are we comparing ourselves with other individuals who are far more successful or seem to be more successful? I've got it worked out. Is it that's what's kind of stops us moving forward? I think that's a big part of it, and that's yeah. Social media has certainly done that. That you, you know, I used the word impression management before. And that's like social media is like that times a thousand, right? So everything you see is is either fabricated um, or the, the peak moment of how someone looks or how the thing that the day. And so you see all these peak things, whatever it might be, performance, mm. output, athletics, looks, and then you start thinking and you average that and think, well, all those people are doing that all the time. That's how they look every day. Well, that's how they, whatever mm. the thing is. And so you're going to start feeling the pressure and the fear of missing out and all, all the things associated with that. So I think it's another reason to control social media. Um, well, I, I know looking on, on social media now, I mean, I've got defenders coming up all the time, Land Rover defenders, because I've got one and I love them, and guys with abs. <laughs> so like, what the hell was I looking at? Um, <laughs> you the algorithm, yeah. But it's, and it's every day I'm fed these guys with abs. <laughs> And Land Rovers. Mm. I mean, it's like it's a great combo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, but it, it must be. It must be feeding on. It must must be seeing something like. Yeah. You know, I think I ordered some. You know, skipping ropes like a few months ago. There you go. And all yeah. of a sudden, they think I'm just got to get my abs sorted out. I personally found today's chat with Joel to be seriously helpful in understanding what resilience is and what it's not. Which tools we can use to enhance our resiliency, the importance of practicing gratitude, social interactions, and the importance of our overall health when it comes to building resilience. Tune in to our next episode next week with Joel, where we dive into intuition and decision making. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about designing your life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe.